In recent years, opioid prescribing for chronic pain has increased dramatically in the United States, as have the rates of opioid abuse and related deaths. Yet despite agreement among experts that something must be done to address this public health crisis, there's no consensus about how to balance the risks posed by opioid overprescribing with the harms caused by leaving chronic pain untreated. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Daniel Alford, an Associate Professor of Medicine at the Boston University School of Medicine. Dr. Alford has written a perspective article about the role of education in opioid prescribing. Dr. Alford, you write in your article that physicians have limited tools for managing chronic pain, and that in part that's because our reimbursement system favors the use of medication alone rather than multimodal care. Ideally, what other strategies should be used to help patients with chronic pain? That's a great question, and let me just take a step back for a moment and talk about how we should be thinking about chronic pain. Chronic pain really is to be differentiated from acute pain, and acute pain really can be treated adequately with a medication, and it does resolve on its own. Chronic pain is much more complex, much more multidimensional, and frankly, regardless of what medication you choose, an opioid or a non-opioid, they're not particularly helpful alone. And so we know through evidence-based research that multimodal care improves outcomes with chronic pain. And when I talk about multimodal care, I'm talking about combining medications from different classes, but also using non-pharmacotherapies like physical therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy, acupuncture, massage therapy, and things such as that. And I think there's also a huge piece in training our patients around self-care and kind of monitoring themselves and moderating the types of activities that they're doing. And so there's a lot more that we can be doing than focusing on medications for treating this very complex, multidimensional problem. Another problem you mentioned in your article is that physicians can't obtain pain consultations because there are too few specialists who offer comprehensive pain care. Is that changing? Are there efforts underway to train more pain specialists? There absolutely are. And it may be surprising to realize that this whole field of pain medicine is pretty early on, even though pain has been around for a long time. And so the American Academy of Pain Medicine has been spending a lot of time working out what they think the true kind of core competencies are for a pain medicine specialist. And there's also a real push in trying to get more pain medicine specialists trained, but also to improve access to uh, pain specialists through telemedicine, telehealth, while we wait for pain medicine specialists to become available. And frankly, even when pain medicine specialists are available, they don't always offer comprehensive pain management. Oftentimes, they may be an anesthesiologist who is solely reliant on doing interventions like nerve blocks or steroid injections. And so when you consult a pain specialist, you don't always know what you're getting. So I think what I recommend is to find out before you start sending patients there, because if you're expecting comprehensive pain management and that's not what the patient receives, then the patient will be wasting their time. You talk in your article about the need for opioid prescribing education to teach physicians how to effectively communicate with their patients about these issues. How do potential legal issues surrounding opioid misuse affect the doctor-patient relationship? That's a great question. I think one of the things that we teach and we emphasize during our trainings is that physicians, clinicians need to stay within the clinical role. That is, they should never take on the role of a police officer or a DEA agent or a judge, and that we're really trying to judge the treatment in terms of benefit and risk, just like we do with other treatments. When I prescribe a medication for hypertension, I'm looking for a benefit, decrease in blood pressure, but I'm also looking for some of the adverse effects that that drug medication may cause, changes in renal function or liver function. 
and I'm balancing those risks and benefits. With opioids or pain medications or pain treatment, for that matter, it's the same thing. For any given patient with their particular pain complaint or syndrome, you know, what treatment modality am I going to choose and how am I going to monitor for benefits and then how am I going to monitor for risks? Being a clinician, looking at the observations that I see in clinical practice. But I think it gets a little tricky because a lot of the outcomes that we're looking for, both benefits and risks, are subjective as opposed to some of the other chronic diseases that we manage. And so it makes it that much more complex. And I think when we start using monitoring tools such as urine drug testing and pill counts and checking the prescription drug monitoring program, it feels very punitive. It feels very much outside the clinical role. But frankly, one of the things that we're looking for is addiction. And and frankly, addiction is hard to diagnose, but the only way to diagnose it in a primary care or outpatient setting or in a generalist setting is to look for aberrant behaviors that are suggestive of addiction, like running out of pills early or showing up at multiple doctors to get the same prescription and those types of behaviors. And so while it may feel kind of non-clinical to be doing those types of things, it's the only way to really pick up patients who are having problems and frankly will need help with that new problem, namely opioid use disorder. So in the clinical context, suppose that you're explaining to a desperate patient why his or her opioid treatment must be discontinued, or you're dealing with a new patient who's already taking high-dose opioids and who says that nothing else works. What sort of approaches do you take to manage those kinds of interactions? I think it's important to be completely transparent in terms of why you're making your clinical decision, and it should be based on clinical observations that you can tell the patient about. Specifically, it's not that I'm just feeling like opioids aren't the right medication for you, but based on either my observations or things that I've read in your previous notes from your previous provider, it doesn't seem that the medication is helping you enough or that it's hurting you. And sometimes we just have to agree to disagree. The patient may completely disagree with my clinical observations, but I need to go with what I think is safest for the patient. And I'll make sure before the patient leaves the room, if they do disagree with my decision to maybe taper opioids, for example, I make sure they can tell me in their own words why I've made that decision. So I don't want them leaving without explaining to me why I have made that decision, because if they say, it's because you don't believe I have terrible pain, then they really haven't heard anything I've had to say because I absolutely believe they have terrible pain. But if they can say it's because you don't believe it's helping me enough or you think it's hurting me, fine. At least they've heard me, they understand my rationale, and they may disagree with me. And frankly, these are very uncomfortable conversations, and they're not conversations that physicians or clinicians in general like to have with patients, but sometimes we need to have them just to keep our patients safe because it's not as if the patient is addicted seeking a drug, but maybe they've got an addiction and terrible pain and all they see is the pain. And so they become overly focused on getting that medication or getting more of the medication despite everything that I've said that the medication is either not helping them enough or is hurting. So you touch on an important challenge in treating chronic pain. The physician has to rely on the subjective report of the patient. So has there been any progress toward finding more objective pain measures? There was a study that was done in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at functional MRIs, mostly around acute pain and seeing what areas of the brain light up. But I'm skeptical whether or not that's going to be relevant or helpful in the kind of chronic pain. And frankly, I don't know that we necessarily need to go there. I think It's the art of medicine. I think it's okay to acknowledge that there's subjectivity to both the benefits and risks. And I think a lot of this should be done in continuity clinic settings, that is, in primary care settings, where I know the patient, I know the patient's family, I follow them over time, 
And really, I can make those types of determinations or judgments based on how well I know the patient and how they're doing at home, how they're doing at work, how they're just functioning daily, whereas a consultant or someone who's just seeing the patient once, who's looking for something objective, they're at a disadvantage, really, than I am who sees the patient over time. So people who are working, physicians who are working in emergency rooms or urgent care, they really don't have the same knowledge that I have for any given patient in order to make those types of decisions. So I really think a lot of this does belong in settings where, where we're following patients over some time while we wait for some objective measure. But I'm not optimistic that those measures will become available. And looking back at prescriber education programs, voluntary programs haven't gained much traction. And you write in your article that mandatory education may be required. What would that look like, and who would put it together? That's a great question. And in my article, I do talk about, ideally, it would be nice to have mandatory proof of competence. That is, that you wouldn't need to take the education if you already knew what you were doing. The problem is trying to test a skills-based competence on a national level. So without being able to do that, or at least I can't think of a efficient way to do that. We are left with requiring everybody to get some type of education. And where the education comes from, I believe it should come from societies, accredited continuing medical education organizations that know how to put on adult education and are able to do it in a non-biased way that allows the important kind of knowledge and skills to be transmitted to the audience. The problem is that while the audience oftentimes are the people who are kind of the early adopters or people who recognize that they have a deficiency, the problem is that we're not necessarily getting all of the physicians who may not know what they don't know. And so that's where mandatory comes in. And I think there is such a crisis going on in this country, and there is such a push to do stuff now, to do stuff immediately to address it, including legislating medical practice, like setting dose limits or duration of treatment limits or requiring all kinds of prior authorizations. And so I think it behooves us as a profession to take it upon ourselves to educate ourselves. Again, in order to get everybody educated, it just seems that we need to mandate it because there are individuals who need the education who don't fully appreciate that they need the education. That's my impression. Finally, in the midst of this crisis, what would you say to the individual physician? How can an individual physician walk the line between overprescribing opioids and leaving chronic pain untreated? I think it's important. The general principle, I would say, is that every time you write a prescription for an opioid for chronic pain, you have made a determination in your own mind, using your best clinical judgment, that the treatment is helping the patient more than it's hurting them. And I think if you can do that, you'll feel a whole lot better about your prescribing. And I think it will also limit the amount of prescribing that's done without thinking about it, because oftentimes we avoid that difficult conversation. We just write the prescription because the patient is putting so much pressure on us to continue writing the prescription. And we haven't really gone through that kind of thought process where I'm weighing the risks and benefits at that given moment before I write the prescription. And to understand how to weigh those risks and benefits, I think that's where education comes in. How do I measure, even subjectively, benefits? And how do I measure, even subjectively, the harm that I can then kind of put into that equation? And I think if individuals are looking for an algorithm or some kind of cookbook medicine to figure this out, they're not going to find it. This is where the art of medicine comes in. This is where when we get to know our patients and understand our patients and understand the risks and potential benefits of these medications, and putting it all together is where the enjoyment in clinical practice occurs. But if you're writing these prescriptions without thinking about it thoroughly, it's not enjoyable at all. 
you start to feel like you're being scammed or you're doing something wrong or you're putting yourself at risk legally because you're not doing a thorough job. And I think physicians, healthcare professionals are compassionate enough and smart enough that we can do this. We can figure this out, we can do it well, and we can maintain access to opioids for those patients with chronic pain who are either benefiting currently or who may benefit in the future. And clearly opioids are not first-line treatment for pain. There's no doubt about it. But in certain individuals with severe chronic pain where they haven't responded well to non-opioid therapies, opioids should still be an option and patients shouldn't have a difficult time obtaining them or finding somebody who's willing to work with them with this particular medication. That truly can be helpful for some patients. Thank you, Dr. Alford.